Hello, leaders. Welcome to season five of the Leaders Lead, Leaders Read podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Shantae Scroggins, and I am excited about this fifth season. There'll be more commentary than book review, more discussion about toxic leadership. We'll get into crafting a philosophy of leadership and why our opinions and experiences just aren't good enough for grounding ourselves in our leadership style. We'll talk a little bit about some things I'm observing in leadership and being a leader, and maybe a few gaps in the literature. Some things we don't train for as leadership professionals. Let's dig in. Stay tuned. Leaders, they lead and leaders are Hello, leaders. Welcome back. For the next two, maybe three episodes, we'll be talking about cultural intelligence. When I discovered this concept, I was in school. And I have to tell you, I fell in love with this, this idea of cultural competence over emotional intelligence, honestly. Yes, they're both necessary. I'm not placing one over the other, but I really get cultural intelligence. And if you go back to season one of this podcast, there was a review on leading with cultural intelligence by David Livermore. And this was actually our textbook in school. And so I'm drawing heavily from David Livermore's model of developing cultural intelligence. There are four quadrants and they are drive, knowledge, action, and strategy. In this episode, we're going to discuss drive and knowledge. Now, cultural intelligence and emotional intelligence, um, I love them because they force us to look inside. They force us to be accountable and responsible for how we carry ourselves and for how we're processing or projecting any internal baggage externally onto our team's systems and practices. One of the things that David Livermore says in the intro of this book is that leading with cultural intelligence begins with looking internally at biases and assumptions and then making conscious decisions to address them. I love this because when leaders run amok, we have toxicity. (laughs) When we don't address our biases, the right people don't get promoted, don't get put into positions where they could really make a systemic impact when leaders do not address assumptions, do not have the hard conversations, or even ask a simple question to judge or to make accountable their assumption, then we have the beginnings of toxicity. And I love this because cultural intelligence doesn't require change of the other culture 
or the other intercultural factor. Cultural intelligence requires me to change. It requires me to transform. And that's what we're going to dig into with the first two factors or quadrants of CQ. Livermore says that being culturally intelligent intelligent means we have to do more than simply change the way we talk to our culturally diverse colleagues. We have to actually transform the way we see each other. Isn't that good? I think that's so good. Um, but I want to first begin by expanding on the notion of culture. Livermore focuses on, in this second edition, he focuses on uh, leaders who whose travels take them to places different than their home country and how studied one needs to be in the practices and cultures of the place that they're going away from their home country to be respectful, to be culturally competent. When I was in undergrad studying the Japanese language, our sensei gave us tons of examples of things that are a non-issue to Americans that could cause a stir or be offensive to the Japanese. And we were always intrigued by it um, because it's a, it's a peek into the window of culture. But I'd like to expand this idea because some of us, our jobs or our preferences may never take us to other countries, to other lands, and that's fine. But in our own countries, wherever you are in the world, there is someone from another culture. We could be next door neighbors in the same country and have cultural differences. Our All things could be equal our parents from the same type of place, we're this, raised the same kind of way, but just because we're in different households, we would have cultural differences. I want us to see just how broadly culture can be applied. And so I'm an American and in the United States, we are what has been popularly called a melting pot of cultures. Uh, but the older I get, the longer I live, I see that as an African-American, as I meet other African-Americans, just in my city, we can have cultural differences. Our exposures are different, which contribute to our, our cultural lenses. So then when I meet other African-Americans from around the country, man, there's a willingness to learn and to say, okay, how do you all do it here? Or how is this done in your family? So then when I expand outside of African-American life and I look at the friends I have and the acquaintances I have, the coworkers I have, uh, the people I'm meeting in other circles, it's so cool and so amazing to get introduced to culture. And so culture can be national, culture can be organizational, culture can be ethnic, it can be generational. Um, a lot of my 
uh, friends that I grew up with, literally like on my same street, we rode bikes together. Those girlfriends and I, we get together often and we laugh (laughs) about how much things have changed uh, because our parents were or are part of the traditionalist generation. My parents were born uh, before World War II. And so there's a way that I grew up that is quite traditional. Uh, I talk often with a line sister of mine in my sorority and we laugh a lot because she is, oh my goodness, 20 years younger than me. And she often says, well, your generation, (laughs) and I can't do anything but laugh because she's right. She's very radical in her views and being around her challenges me in wonderful ways. Uh, So I hope that this intro just kind of relaxes us in this discussion of culture, because in more formal environments, I can see how this would be tense how it could be tense. So cultural intelligence is about adaptability and it can be learned. We can develop this if we want to. We can challenge our biases and our assumptions if we want to. Another of the greatest things that's happened in my life were the years I spent in Austin. Now, I did not appreciate Austin when I lived there. I'll tell you that now. I didn't like living there when I was living there. Uh, But now I can appreciate the time that I lived in Austin, Texas. And I attended a church and served with a group of people that was so diverse. Africans, Brazilians, Ethiopians, Mexicans, people from other Hispanic and Latino countries, Um, Americans from all over the place and, you know, red and yellow, black and white, we were all there. And if you can worship or express your faith cross-culturally, it really is a benefit to that. It was the first church I'd been where I had this opportunity. And the more we grew in relationship with one another, we attacked our biases head on. We attacked our assumptions head on, stereotypes um, and things. We were able to ask each other questions and learn. And so that's what we're going to dig into now with developing cultural intelligence and looking at how much we are willing to change ourselves from the inside, how much we're willing to look at how we see others and change that view, if that's wrong, even question our biases. Hey, I grew up learning that this group of people does this or thinks this, and my exposure says something different. Or if we have confirming exposure, that doesn't mean that our our opinions and biases and assumptions are correct. All right, so let's dig in drive, the drive of cultural intelligence. One of the things Livermore does is he breaks down the assessment of and the introduction to CQ by giving us the motivation of these quadrants. So the motivation of drive, of the drive of cultural intelligence is showing interest, confidence, and drive to adapt cross-culturally. And one of the simplest ways that we can do this is names. Names. I have a coworker 
who she and I talk about this from time to time, about how easily our names are shortened or misspelled by people who people who mean well, but they just are quick to give nicknames and they'll shorten the name. And some of us have even been in circumstances where people didn't even try to pronounce our names. They just said, well, can I call you Bob? <laughs> can I call you Barb? Or they don't even ask and they just shorten our names. And I used to be embarrassed to correct people. And in the last five to 10 years, I've really been emboldened to correct people every time. Every time. I appreciate them for giving it a shot. Uh, and sometimes with people I'm going to be around long-term, I'll tell them long A, long A, short O for my first and last name. And then I've met people who get a little shy when they pronounce their name and I try to say it and they'll say, well, you can just call me. And I'm like, no, your name is this. I want to learn your name. I want to call you by your name. It's a show of drive in cultural intelligence. So here's the profile of a leader with high drive. Leaders with high CQ drive are motivated to learn and adapt to new and diverse cultural settings. Their confidence in their adaptive abilities will influence the way they perform in multicultural situations. Another example is learning a language in an immersive setting. When I, I studied Japanese as an undergraduate and then I went to Japan and studied in Japan and I had my textbooks, I had note cards, and I made an honest and sincere effort to speak the language. And some natives laughed at me as I tried, and they weren't even laughing as in a teasing. It was just, oh, wow, you really gave this a brave shot. Good for you. <laughs> uh, but that's one way that when we get into immersive cultures where everyone speaks one language and we speak something else, uh, Drive says, I'm willing to adapt even if I look foolish, even if I don't get it right the first time, I'm expressing my curiosity. So that's one way we can do that. Leaders is to show interest. If you have a multicultural team, show interest. Um, ask, don't assume, hey, would it be a good thing for us to observe a holiday that is native to your culture? Or what can we do to show inclusivity that is something you would appreciate uh, being from a different culture? Even if the team member says, ah, that's okay. <laughs> there is a nod that has to say, man, they're showing, they're showing interest. Here's what Livermore says. This is one of the reasons diversity training programs often fail. If team members don't see the positive benefits of changing the way they interact with culturally diverse colleagues, the training can be a waste of time. There is a direct correlation between your level of motivation for adapting cross-culturally and your effectiveness. I've had to say often in my current work environment 
that we cannot work around one another. It's just not going to happen. You're you're shy, okay. You are an introvert, wonderful. Um, but our jobs are not to be completed in a silo. Um, we cannot just ignore the function of another and not communicate in our workspaces. Um, there is a correlation between our willingness to change and our effectiveness in our tasks. So I'm flipping to the page where we learn how to go for our drive. All right. Livermore says CQ drive goes beyond the excitement of traveling to a new place or experimenting with ethnically different foods. It's the perseverance, the perseverance required leaders when the novelty wears off and the differences start to chafe at us. I love this because we're, as long as we're human <laughs> and as long as we come from different places and as long as the realities exist, of humanity, there will be differences. And so the objective is not to end or bring to a conclusion our differences. Our job is to is to work out ways to exist together in the face of the differences. We can't ignore the differences. We can't deny the differences. We cannot uh, devalue the differences because you think or I think that one another's difference is a non-issue, but it's important to each of us. We can't do that. The work of CQ Drive is never really done, Livermore says. At some level, it does become more familiar and comfortable the way we do it. So recommendations for developing drive in cultural intelligence. One, calculate the cost of not prioritizing cultural intelligence. What's at stake if I don't change the way I view others, if I don't transform my inner self to be a better citizen personally, organizationally, and globally? Number two, connect a cross-cultural project with other interests. So if you aren't naturally motivated, find a way to connect what you're doing or to connect the cross-cultural experience or exposure with something that does interest you, art or sports or food. This is a way that you can learn new things. Number three, accept whatever cross-cultural assignments are available. This happens a lot in my sorority. Um, I balked at it once or twice, but being paired with someone with whom I had nothing in common on the surface, or I had observed them or experienced them and been rubbed the wrong way, and now being paired with them for what does boil down to a cross-cultural assignment, it was helpful. It was helpful. It was so helpful in training my speech <laughs> in cultivating optimism it was so helpful in working with them and hey it wasn't nearly as bad as i thought it would be number four try the local specialty so this applies when traveling to a country outside of your home country try the local specialties 
try to be ethnically diverse. Just give it a shot. And then number five, live for something bigger. We were made for more than working ourselves to death and making money, Livermore says. Some of us will take on causes on a large scale. Others will mentor one leader and make that person's life better. Cultural intelligence offers a way of making the world a better place. Isn't that great? Key the violins. All right, let's move to number two. The second quadrant is knowledge. Um, know which differences matter. So the question that the knowledge quadrant of cultural intelligence asks is, what do I need to know? So the profile of a leader with high knowledge in CQ Leaders with a high CQ, high in CQ knowledge have a rich, well-organized understanding of culture and how it affects the way people think and behave. These leaders possess a repertoire of knowledge about how cultures are alike and different. They understand how culture shapes behavior. You know, one of the big questions when it comes to annoyances with each other in the workplace is why? does he do that why does she do that like that why <laughs> and it, it it's necessary to try and put ourselves in other shoes or or really considering where culture plays into these misunderstandings Livermore says, even if an organization never expands internationally, it's impossible to be an effective leader without having some insight into how culture shapes the thoughts and behaviors of the people touched by your leadership. Don't dismiss cultural understanding as simply politically correct, warm and fuzzy stuff. It will define your leadership and it requires a disciplined effort to better understand the cultural differences. So here's how we can develop our CQ knowledge. Let's start to see the role of culture in ourselves and in others. Flip into that explanation. Start to see that. Then number two, understand different languages. Number three, review the basic cultural systems. And number four, learn about cultural values. The path toward improving CQ knowledge, Livermore says, begins with seeing the influence on culture of culture on everything we think, say, and do. Culture is defined as the beliefs, values, behaviors, customs, and attitudes that distinguish one group from another. And so this is our challenge. Are we paying attention to our cultural intelligence? How well we understand that where a person is from and how a person is raised and where a person went to school and political beliefs and the norms of their culture, how that all comes into the package of this one body and what this body brings to the workplace or the group or the sorority or the organization. Culture is huge. And so we enter into this dynamic and say, what is it that I need to know? 
what is in education we call it the hidden curriculum what are the underlying elements that i need to know the things that aren't obvious the things that aren't on the surface what do i need to know about this person that will help me as i lead this team maybe and this is where um you know in school we were our assignments were judged on a generic rubric but i don't know the generic rubrics are applicable for our team dynamics culture does play in we might have to repeat things for one person because um they're from another part of the u.s just speaking in the u.s context since i this is where i live and work but if i'm a southerner and i am and i am working in the northern part of the country where they tend to talk faster I may need things repeated for me. <laughs> it can be as simple as that. Oh, that's right. She's a Southerner until I catch on and can, can adapt to the lay of the land. Communication, Livermore says, both formally and informally is probably the most important thing that a leader does. And many of the problems that occur organizationally are the direct result of people failing to communicate in ways that truly enhance understanding. One of the things I've I do is I ask, how is it best to communicate with you? And I think we might be surprised at how people don't really know. They might, they'll throw something out on the surface and say, well, um, you know, be direct. I have found that people really don't want me to be direct. And then they might say, you know, I'm a visual person. Oh, great visual videos, visual screenshots. Um, and some people have said I'm visual when they're really great at just listening to the instruction and going with it. And so some of these things, people do not come to the table with this level of awareness. We have to help them. We have to teach them how this works. And this is part of our cultural intelligence. So I'll just stop there for now and we'll dig into action strategy and action when we're together again but until we are please start thinking about your level of cultural intelligence find this book by livermore there's a quiz also where you can have a quick assessment of where you stand in your cultural competence look at your teams differently this coming week and see if there's something that you need to adjust. See if there's something that you notice that you hadn't noticed before that plays into the culture of your organization, the culture of the individuals on your team. Awesome. Well, if you have any feedback, as always, we're glad to hear it. Send a message and if there's something you want us to add, or include we can definitely address that um thanks for listening thanks for sticking with us if you haven't followed us on social media yet please do that at legacy leadership center and until we're together again lead well don't be toxic the leaders lead leaders read podcast is sponsored by the Center for Legacy Driven Leadership, where we share the language of leadership 
through toxic leadership awareness and transformational leadership development that is rooted in leadership theory. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Legacy Leadership Center. Leaders, oh, they need. Leaders, oh, they need.